Welcome to Honest Money, your best guide to financial freedom. I'm Warren Ingram, the author of a few best-selling books, and I'm also an award-winning financial planner, and I've helped thousands of people on their journey to financial freedom. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am here to share my experience and the best ideas that I've learned, and I hope these ideas help you on your journey to financial freedom. Welcome to Honest Money. Um, I'm really interested today to to speak to 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 somebody whose name I don't know. We 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 all know him as the Finance Ghost, uh, and I'm I'm really interested to 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 have a bit of a chat. So Finance Ghost, uh, welcome and and thanks so much for joining. Thank you, Aaron. It's great to be here. Uh, I, I thought today we we could talk a bit about uh, a bit about side hustles. You know, I think in the in the kind of post-COVID world, you know, we, we've all realised that uh, you know having a job for life, if if that was a concept before uh, before the COVID world, is definitely not a not a concept anymore. Uh, and and of course, you know, be, being able to earn money uh, outside of your normal working times, uh, I think, is a great way to to build up wealth and the like. So so I thought if we could talk a little bit about business and a bit about side hustles, that that would be a really nice uh, a nice interesting topic. And so, so to kick off, you know, for, for, for uh, old guys like me, what's a side hustle? So Aaron, a side hustle, I guess, is anything outside of your day job. And, you know, that would vary from something you're doing on the weekend to earn a bit of extra cash, which can be as simple as selling Borobos rolls, I suppose, all the way through to actually having a fully fledged business that's running in the background. It's quite difficult to always have, you know, a perfect line between your day job and your side hustle from a time perspective. And I think... That's also partly the day job's fault because how many day jobs these days actually start at eight and end at five? We're more connected than we've ever been in, before in our lives at any point in history. And I mean, I don't think my parents ever had to do the kind of, you know, after work hours that many of us are doing at the moment in this connected world. So I guess I would define it as anything outside of your day job and not necessarily a passive investment either. It's something you're actually actively pushing, actively driving, may or may not become your full-time job one day. It doesn't have to be, and, and sometimes it does. You know, it, it really depends on how it all goes. Okay, and, and so is it something that you, that, that you would say requires a lot of uh, professional skill? Was it, is it, could, it, could it be manual, labor? I mean, just, just sort of the range of industries that are conducive to a side hustle? So I've dabbled in a whole bunch of things over the past uh, sort of five to 10 years, I guess. And I think it depends. Sometimes you'll do it with a business partner. Sometimes that person's a friend, sometimes not necessarily. And that all comes with its own challenges and benefits all at the same time. Um, it depends what skills you bring to the table as well. You know, if you're strong on finance, then you probably need someone who maybe has a consumer product or a service that they'd like to take to market, but they don't necessarily have the financial wherewithal to actually run a business or price it correctly or manage it or anything like that. Obviously, on the flip side, if you are someone who has a great product idea or an excellent service idea, then you'll need to think carefully about whether you should have a partner who is perhaps more financially oriented, for example, it covers off your blind spots. So it really depends. You can be involved in anything almost. I think businesses are, are really varied by nature. Every business has got financial people, has got salespeople, marketing people. At the end of the day, it needs a variety of skills. And you've got to try and do whatever you can with your time that you feel is rewarding you adequately for it. So I suppose earlier in your career, you may not necessarily be a specialist in something yet. And then you may need to, you know, work a little bit harder for every rand. Um, ideally not quite manual labor, but sometimes it might feel that way. Later in life, when you become a specialist and you've got 10, 15, 20 years of experience in something, then suddenly your time is valuable. And then hopefully if all goes well, you can pick and choose your clients, pick and choose what you do 
and actually maximize every hour you're spending away from your family and away from your day job because it's not easy to try and actually fit everything in and find the time that's for sure and to me i think that's a very important point is that you know a side hustle must be productive and i mean that in two ways it must be productive financially it's it's worth the time as you say if you if you price your leisure time carefully then you know every hour of leisure time that you give up to do a side hustle must have a rand value for you but but secondly productive in terms of of rewarding emotionally and and giving you stimulus that you that that this is something that you get something out of you know it's not just uh, drudgery and mindless stuff because you know if you've got a day job that's already uh, boring and drudgery then you don't want to side hustle that's the same so so i guess that's a it, it, it is a good point um, and and so t- tell us if you've been doing it for five or ten years what, what are some of the kind of real rookie errors to avoid when you when you do a side hustle yeah so oh there's so many um I think counting every penny is an error. So I have a background in finance and accounting, but I'm not someone who ever really practiced tax, for example. So you study it at university and you think to yourself, okay, great, I understand tax. You understand tax, yes, you don't understand SARS. Those are two completely different things. And you can very quickly self- get yourself into a hole where you go, hang on, you know, I'm the finance person in this business, don't worry, I'll make sure that our taxes are all fine and all our returns are done on time and all our compliance is in order. Unfortunately, we operate in a country where the red tape is borderline endless and it becomes really difficult. And if you haven't done it in practice, then you are potentially getting yourself into a spot of trouble and you will waste countless hours dealing with inefficient bureaucracies, unfortunately. I had an issue with SARS where they literally could not solve a VAT e-filing issue, as in we could not do our VAT returns on e-filing for more than five years I can't tell you how many hours I wasted on the call center and more importantly, how many hours were wasted between my partner and I trying to actually go to a SARS branch to do a VAT return. Now, the first mistake we made was registering for VAT, but that's a story for another day. The second mistake we made was not actually getting someone to just help us deal with SARS. But the business started out well, then struggled, and you know we were counting every penny. And recently, I just put the bullet and said, listen, this is crazy. You know, I will just, even if I have to just pay to solve this problem, I can't do this anymore. This is nuts. And we actually got an accountant who is really fantastic. And he solved the problem in one day because he knows the right person at SARS. I mean, it's quite strange to think that you can take so much joy from logging in on e-filing and seeing your VAT profile. But, you know, that, that tells you something about the pain you can go through. So I guess it's about just being smart on what you should be doing with your time and what you should be paying someone else to do. And it's it's actually something I've really started to do this year. And it comes from having, I suppose, a demanding day job, family as well. I recently became a dad. It gets, it gets really hard um, to then have side hustles on top. Luckily, I have an understanding wife. And you've got to really pick and choose how you spend your time. And you've got to price your time. You know, I often hear people say, well, I'm going to go and start a business. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm not going to have anyone help me clean my house. So basically, you're going to start a business and you're going to price your time at the same rate you would pay someone to clean your house. That's not a great start. Surely you should be spending that day building your business instead of you know, cleaning your own house. And there's 100 examples of that. At the moment, there's huge queues at the licensing department to renew your car license. People spending three, four hours in the queue. You can pay someone 250 rand, 300 rand at most, probably less to go and do that for you. you know, price your time. If you're doing things properly, your two or three hours is worth ideally a lot more than two or three hundred rand. And once you start doing that, once you invest in order to get a return on your time, it just it's, it's an incredible experience. It suddenly just frees up everything and you can focus on what you actually enjoy doing. 
yes, you're going to be paying away a little bit of money, but long term, in terms of managing your burnout and actually spending your time where it matters, it's going to pay off many, many times over. So I would say that's the biggest rookie mistake is trying to do literally everything of which I'm very guilty because I like to be in control of stuff. And I, I've had to learn to really just pay away, let go on some of these things and, and you know, get an expert to actually sort it out for you. And I think that that's maybe, uh, you know, so, so it's one of your, your, your points around that as well as don't, don't take shortcuts uh, around the, the legal compliance uh, side of life as well. When, when you start a business, you know, you know, a lot of business people I've seen over the years, they, they, they don't worry about tax, forget about that they, that they don't get to it. They don't even, they try and they try not pay tax and they try and avoid it and, and maybe you know, t- take a few kind of legally dodgy moves. Um, and that's, you know, that's, um, it's never fine. But, but the point is that the consequences aren't that big when it's just two people with a little bit of money. But the moment you've got something that turns into a viable business, uh, all, all the dodgy practices of the past will come back to haunt you in a big way. Uh, and if one thing could kill a business, you know, that, 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 that would be, you know, legal action with SARS um, when, or when the founders are in jail. So, so, I mean, I think for me, that would be another point for entrepreneurs is, you know, entrepreneurs generally are bad at, at admin and paperwork and the like. Uh, but if you're going to be bad at it, don't, don't be bad at the tax part of it and the legal part of it. Be, be bad elsewhere because this is, you just don't want to be fighting with a tax authority or, or a, a, a legal authority anywhere in any country. And you also don't know what you don't know. So the problem is you can get yourself into trouble even if you're completely honest. So you'll obviously get tax dodgers out there, which, as you say, is never okay. It's illegal. It's illegal for a reason, um, you know, and, and you just should not be doing that. But you can get yourself into so much trouble with SARS and the like just by being a little bit behind on stuff or, you know, relying on the e-filing system so that you can do your VAT returns and then realizing that they're never going to get it to work. So you end up doing VAT returns in batches because who has... You know, for a side hustle, you don't have six hours to go and stand at SARS to do your VAT return every two months. So some months you go, well, I don't owe them much. I'll just take the penalty on the chin. You know, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible way to think. And it's just a function of bureaucracy in this country. So, yeah, it's, it's about just making sure that there are no skeletons in the closet, whether you intended them or not. It's important to actually get stuff run correctly from day one. Run it as though you're a big business, even though you're not. Don't choke yourself on admin but don't lose sight of the stuff that you have no choice to do. And it doesn't need to be expensive either. I think these days there are a number of accounting firms who have actually recognized the need among SMEs. You know, it's not a ripoff. You're not hiring a super expensive accountant. You're actually hiring someone who understands what you need. A lot of it is a production line. He knows exactly or she knows exactly what you're going to need every month, every return, and they price it accordingly. So any business that is serious about being a business should be able to afford these skills. And funnily enough, it's not that different in the legal world either. You know, a shareholders agreement is something that can really make or break an entire business. You know, I've I worked in mergers and acquisitions in a previous life, um, which inspired, I suppose, the finance ghost. And you see companies where the shareholders agreement wasn't really thought of when they got into it. And suddenly they sit on something that's now quite valuable. And now we're getting into shareholder dispute territory. And they've either got nothing great to fall back on or nothing at all. I mean, many a company just doesn't have any of this stuff. So you're starting to see some legal firms offer almost a starter pack where they'll sort you out with a shareholders agreement, with a basic terms of service, all the contracts you need to kind of get going. And they'll do that for, say, under 10,000 rand. That's a lot of money if you're doing cake sales on a Saturday, but that doesn't need any of this stuff. If you're starting a more serious business, then you've got to price in 
a need to actually do stuff properly. I mean, case in point with the finance ghost, I've registered it as a trademark or I'm going through that process. It is expensive, but if it achieves what I hope it will achieve one day, it'll be the best money I ever spent because then I've protected the brand. It actually leads me to another rookie mistake, Warren, if you don't mind, another company that I, I used to assist a little bit and, and mentor an entrepreneur. And she built this fantastic business over about two or three years, a consumer facing business, huge following on social media, did everything right from that perspective, but never checked or never ran a trademark search, which, and this is what inspired me to actually get this done. So the assumption was, well, I've got the business name, I've got the website, I'm okay. Unfortunately, two or three years down the track, in comes a letter from someone who has a trademark in a specific category of product that's being sold where the name is kind of similar, but not really. But the trademark is wide enough that she's fallen foul of this trademark. And now, after two or three years of building a brand, she was advised by lawyers that, I'm sorry, you're going to have to rebrand. Now, you can imagine how incredibly painful that is. And I can tell you, it, it's not like it was an obvious clash. It wasn't another business doing the same thing with a similar name. Not at all. They sold one subset of her product, product range with a kind of similar name, but not even. And that really scared me. I thought, you know, if you're going to go to all the effort of building a consumer-facing brand, then just protect it and and just put in the put in the money in the beginning. I think it's it's uh, it's a really valuable point that for for all of us. And, and you know, I think just back to your point around accountants, etc. I mean, there's you know, if I if I speak to the producers of of the Honest Money Show, I know that they use a lot of online uh, tools as well nowadays, which which make things so much more seamless for them as well. So, so I think and a lot of that stuff is either free or extremely low cost. So, so I, I think it's a great point, you know, just to take the time, do the research to get the, almost the engine of, of a business, not your business, but of a business right. And then you can focus on your business and, and, and working on it. So, so um, you know, this, the, this show shouldn't all be about the mistakes. So, so tell us, what, what are some of the good, uh, the good startup uh, tips that, that, uh, that, uh, that people could get from you about how to start a good side hustle and, and how to focus correctly? So you're going to have to prepare yourself for serious persistence. Uh, you're going to put in hours in the beginning where you start to wonder what on earth you're doing. And if you expect that the first hours you spend are going to pay you what you think you're worth, then rather don't even bother because there's absolutely no chance of that happening. You're building something of scale. So this again is, I suppose it comes down to the definition of a side hustle. If you just do a bit of consulting work on the side for someone and you charge them by the hour, it's a side income, yes. It's not really a side business. You're not building something that can scale or could one day exist without you, which is always the ultimate test. And I've advised many entrepreneurs in the past who have sold their businesses for anything from 50 million rand to a billion rand. And the test is always whether or not it can survive the founder. As soon as it can't, then unfortunately the valuation comes crashing down. So you've almost got to build it with that in mind. And that means that you need to build something that has a clear strategy. It's got a niche. It's got something interesting. You can't hope to wake up tomorrow and compete with big existing businesses doing exactly what they do. You've got to do something a little bit different. And actually my favorite framework to make that decision, um, I would say I'm a big fan of Tim Ferriss, but the truth of it is that I've really read three quarters of one of his books and that was almost enough for me because it gave me so much to think about that I then went off and kind of lived my life and didn't find the time to finish it, which sounds terrible, but it's true. And he interviewed the guy who started the Dilbert cartoon. His name, I think, is Scott Adams. He's a very intelligent guy. And Tim basically said to him, you know, why did you, why did you start drawing Dilbert? And his reply was that he was sitting in a middle management role and he was kind of funny and he could kind of draw 
but he wasn't good enough at any one of those three things to actually make a career out of it. So he sat down and he said, well, there are three things I'm quite good at. I'm not spectacular at any of them, but what is the intersection of those three things that I can do better than anybody else? And he decided the thing he could do better than anyone else was drawing a funny cartoon about office life because he had enough of the three skills and when you add it together, it becomes a smash hit, which Dilbert certainly was. I mean, I think you know, a lot of the younger listeners might not even know what Dilbert is, but uh, certainly it was huge. Um, and Scott Adams made a lot of money from it. And that Dilbert principle is, is great to apply to any side hustle you're thinking of starting. If you say to yourself, what am I better at than anyone else I know? You know and this is not the time to be modest. It's the time to say, what am I really good at? Then do that because that's going to be a natural success and that's what i've seen the startups that i've been involved in where it doesn't necessarily play to my strengths they can do okay but they don't do as well as where i'm actually focusing on what i perceive myself to be good at and pushing on that so, so i think we, um, we, we we're running out of time and i've got one more question for you but just you know my, my input on that is as well i think it's it's really important to be realistic with yourself and be to be honest so so it's you know it's um i, I love watching uh, a lot of these talent shows where, where you see someone stand on a stage and start singing and they're the world's worst singer and, and that's because no one's especially probably their mother has never actually said to them look you know uh, they, they, the parents have always lied and told them that they're fabulous because that's what they wanted to to build their confidence but no one's been honest with them to say look you're a pretty terrible singer and that's how they end up on on America's Got Talent embarrassing themselves in front of the world. Um, and, I, and I think it's the same with businesses. You have to say, so, so that, 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 that Dilbert example is a great one because he was honest enough with himself to say, I'm not world-class at any one of those three things. And, and so the mistake a lot of people would make is they'd go off and they'd try and become an artist or they'd you know, tr- try and become a stand-up comic and, and fall over. But, but the, 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 the magic for me there is understanding that intersection where, where that person has the ability, where you have the ability if, you, if you're that person, but the honesty as well to say, I'm not good enough in these things. And, and then I think for any business, you know, if you're in this space, uh, it's, it's important to, to make sure that you're going to have a potential market. You know, it's, it's great coming up with an idea that, you know, I've got the world's greatest glass that really, you know, can, can make, make me smile every time I drink water out of it. But the point is, are there enough th- of, of tens of thousands of other people that will buy that glass uh, and that will find it interesting and find it equally good and, and maybe to do a bit of research to see that there's a market for your great idea, not just start out and hope that people will buy it one day. Because I think that's, you know, there, there are millions of great ideas that die because there's no market for them. So so as a, as a wrap up, um, I'd love to find out if you could, uh, if you could jump back, let's say 10 years, uh, what would be the one thing you would tell yourself uh, with the experience you've got now about starting a business or starting a side hustle? Yeah, it's an interesting question because you should never discount the journey you've been on. It's easy to say, well, I wish I'd known then, but even if I had, would I have done something that different? And the world has also changed. So what I've found success with and the startups that I suppose I've enjoyed the most um, would be my blogging efforts, which are actually you know, quite successful. And I don't think it would have worked 10 years ago. In fact, I can almost guarantee it wouldn't have worked 10 years ago. So. We now live in this incredible world where the internet lets you take your art to the world. And it's something that Seth Godin writes about a lot. And I think it's about doing what the world will allow you to do at the time. The mistakes that we made, you know, 10 years ago in our businesses that we were involved in would have been made then anyway, because you didn't have the easy cloud software that let you do stuff, you know, as cheaply as you can now. You didn't have access to the kind of resources even 10 years ago. It's incredible how the world has changed in the last 10 years. So... In all, in all honesty, I would probably 
change nothing. And if I could go back and tell myself anything, it would be to just get a you know a SARS specialist earlier who can sort e-filing out for you. But uh, <laughs> genu- genuinely, I think you have to you have to accept that it's a journey, and you're probably going to make mistakes. It sounds so cliche, but you will make mistakes. And the trick is to just not put too much capital into these mistakes. You might lose a little bit of money, but do as much of a lean startup as you can. Spend as little as you can. Don't waste. Make sure that you are spending where it makes sense. And long term, you'll pivot into whatever you need to become. You've got no idea where the business will lead. Even with the finance ghost, which is all of four or five months old, I'm still surprised uh, by what it's led to and the opportunities and some of the things I'm doing now that I would never have expected to be doing just four months ago. Well, that, that was a fantastic show. Thanks so much to the Finance Ghost. That was really interesting for me. We probably went way longer than we should have, but but I thought it was a brilliant show. Th- thanks so much for being on, and I'm sure we to, to hope to get you back on again. Thank you, Warren. Thank you for listening to Honest Money. If you have any questions, you're welcome to reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is at Warren Ingram. Don't forget to subscribe. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Chat soon.